Those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. But before you can truly learn from the tales of our past, you must first understand them. And you're in luck because you found the one and only show that dives deep into the historical figures of our past and how key events have shaped the world that we live in today. You're tuned to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. Right here on WRFH, Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. With your host of today's show, Connor Bolanos. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery, where this week we're going to be talking about Charles Maurice Tariran. Um, Tariran is probably one of the most, if not the most, prominent diplomat, especially with, particularly within France, during the 18th and 19th century. In regards to his role in the European diplomatic circle as a whole, Talleyrand is definitely one of the largest players, but he often is overshadowed by many by Clemens von Metternich, someone who many of you probably know as the chief architect of the Concert of Europe and the peace that dominated within Europe following the uh, f- defeat of Napoleon in 1815. But Talleyrand had a very important role within these negotiations within European diplomatic circles, but he's often overlooked, and that's why we're going to be exploring Talleyrand on his diplomatic policies and his life today on History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. So jumping right into the life of Charles Maurice Tarirán, he was born on the 2nd of February, 1754, into an an aristocratic family which, though ancient and illustrious, was not particularly prosperous. His father, Count Charles Daniel de Tarirán, was 20 when Charles was born, along with to his mother, Alexandre de Damas Antigui. Both of his parents held positions at the royal court, which is interesting that they were broke while also being partake, while also having a role in the royal court. But as the youngest child of their respective families, regardless of his, if his parents even had inheritance, um, Talleyrand, uh, Charles Maurice Talleyrand, that is, being the youngest son, was not in line to actually inherit any of his parents' estate upon their passing. And as such he looked towards other means of securing this sort of revenue. Talleyrand's father had a long career in the army, part of the reason for his family's prominence and role in court, reaching the rank of lieutenant general, along with his uncle, Gabriel Marie de Perigord. From childhood, though, Talleyrand walked with a limp, which, co- which later caused him to be referred to as the lame devil amongst various other monikers. In his memoirs, he linked this infirmity to an accident at age four, um, even though more recent research has actually shown that the limp was in fact cogenital. In any case, though, the handicap is responsible for the reason that he wasn't able to follow his father into an uncle into this military career, leaving the only avenue to achieve uh, monetary success being through the church. He held hope for this through the fact that his um, uncle, Alexandre Angelique uh, de Talleyrand, was the Archbishop of Reims, one of the most prestigious and richest dioceses in the entirety of France. So Talleyrand sought out to inherit, possibly, this Archbishop, uh, Archbishoric. Talleyrand attended the Collège de Harcourt and the seminary at Saint-Sulpice, and whilst, where he studied theology at Sorbonne until the age of 21. Here he was ordained uh, a priest on the 19th of December, 1779, at the age of 25. 
1780, he attained the influential position of agent general of the clergy and played a prominent role in drafting the general inventory of church properties in France in 1785, along with writing a strong defense of the inalienable rights of the church, a stance which he would later come to deny when the French Revolution came around. In 1788, Talleyrand's father, through its court's influence, was able to overcome the king's dislike towards Talleyrand and obtained his appointment of the Bishop of Antun, and he was consecrated as a bishop on the 4th of January, 1789. Though undoubtedly able as a bishop, Talleyrand was considered hardly devout and was definitely one of a more enlightened um, thinker. Some, and, and many enlightened thinkers were in general very anti-religious, especially very anti-Catholic church. But regardless of this, and despite his own seemingly um, lack of devoutness, he was very outwardly respectful of religious observance, and he performed his duties um, amicably. Shortly after being ordained Bishop of Autun, Talleyrand attended and was part of the Estates General of 1789, where he was a representative of the French clergy, the first estate. During the revolution, Talleyrand strongly supported the anti-clericalism of the revolutionaries, despite being a representative of the clergy. He promoted the appropriation of church properties by the state, and he participated in the writings of the Declaration of the Rights of Man and Citizen, and also was one of the lead proponents of the civil constitution of the clergy, which would nationalize the Catholic Church and swore in the first and he was also responsible after its passing in swearing in the first four constitutional bishops, even though he himself, of course, was a bishop, although he was eventually excommunicated by Pope Pius VI in 1791 for his role in uh, nationalizing these church properties and nationalizing control of the clergy. In addition to serving as a representative in the clergy and being involved in these two very prominent early acts of French revolutionary uh, legislation, he also was very involved in public education and the full spirit of the Enlightenment, writing a 216-page report on public instruction proposing a pyramid pyramidical structure of education rising through local, district, and departmental schools, all of which were later adopted in later French public education standards. During this time, he also was involved in drawing up police regulations in Paris, proposed the suffrage, meaning the voting rights, of Jewish peoples within France, supported a ban on tithes, and invented a new method to ensure loans for the French Revolution, which was facing some credit issues at the moment. In 1792, he made his first forage into his diplomatic ventures. In 1792, he was sent twice unofficially to London to try and avert war with the British. The British at first were neutral and seemed to be following Talleyrand's uh, diplomatic proposals, but eventually that ultimately failed. September 1792, upon it, once he returned to France failing, he left Paris for England again, but at, in order to um, escape the September massacres. As a result of this escape, the National Convention issued a warrant for his arrest in 1792. In 1794, after two years of living in exile in England, he was forced to leave Britain by uh, pr then Prime Minister Pitt's expulsion order. He would then go on to the United States, where he would stay until his return to France in 1796. And while in the United States, he would support himself by working as a bank agent, involving himself in commodity trading and real estate speculation, during the time which he developed close friendships with Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. However, despite being friends with the both of them, um, and despite being a house guest of Aaron Burr during his stay, when Aaron Burr eventually came to seek refuge in Europe following his own self-opposed exile after killing Alexander Hamilton, Talleyrand had actually outright refused to offer um, his home to Aaron Burr because he had killed Alexander Hamilton. For anyone just tuning in, you're listening to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos, the show where we dive deep into the historical figures of our past to better understand our present. 
For all of you just tuning in, welcome back to another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery, where today we're going to be talking about the French diplomat Charles Maurice Tarrant. We just got done talking about his early life, his role in the clergy, and his role in the French Revolution, and his subsequent exile. And now we're going to jump right into his return. After the Ninth Thermidor, which is the event that marked the fall of Robespierre in the Directory, he mobilized his friends within France to lobby to the National Convention and the newly established Directorate for his return. His name was suppressed from the immigré list, and he returned to France on the 25th of September, 1796. To, to clarify, the immigré list was a list of individuals who were not allowed to return to France following the fall of Robespierre. In 1797, he became a foreign minister within France, where he was behind the demand for bribes in the XYZ affair, which quickly escalated itself into the Quasi-War, the undeclared naval war between France and the United States in 1798-1800. Talleyrand saw during this time a possible political career in the then-rising general Napoleon Bonaparte during the Italian campaigns of 1796 and 1797. During this time, he wrote, and as a result of this, he wrote many letters to Napoleon, and the two came to become close friends. As a result of his friendship with Napoleon Bonaparte, and as a result of his own um, ambitions and how he saw these ambitions could be met through the rising career of Napoleon Bonaparte, Talleyrand was instrumental in the 1799 coup d'état of the 18th Brumaire, which established the French consulate government and named Napoleon the Council of France. Talleyrand was then soon made the head foreign minister by Napoleon, although he actually rarely ever agreed with Napoleon on foreign policy. And upon Napoleon eventually capturing the Pope and defeating the Papal States, the Pope released him from the ban of excommunication and the Concordat of 1801, which also then revoked Talleyrand's earlier work, the Civil Constitution of the Clergy. Talleyrand during this time er, in the early Napoleonic era was also instrumental in the completion of the Treaty of Amiens in 1802 which ended the Second Coalition and saw probably the largest uh, extent of France's annexations. After this treaty, he wanted Napoleon to keep the peace within Europe, believing that France had reached its maximum expansion. Obviously, though, as many of you can guess, this was not what Napoleon saw to be France's natural and maximum expansion. Talleyrand, during his time as the head minister, was also an integral player in German mediatization, that being the restructuring of German territories following Napoleon's conquest of the Rhine. While the Treaty of Campo Formio of 1797 had on paper stripped German princes of their lands beyond the left bank of the Rhine and annexed to France, it wasn't actually enforced until the Treaty of Luneville in 1801. As France formally annexed these lands with the Treaty of Luneville, leaders of these German states, Baden, Bavaria, Württemberg, Prussia, Hesse and Nassau, who lost territories, thought that they should receive new territories on the right bank through secularization of ecclesiastical principalities. The French, having no interest in these lands, agreed to it, and many of these rulers would actually be giving out bribes in order to secure these lands, and Talleyrand and some of his associates amassed about 10 million francs in the process. In 1802, Napoleon forced Talleyrand into marriage with his longtime mistress, Catherine Grand, and using the money he amassed from these bribes from the German states, Talleyrand purchased the Chachal de Valenciennes on May 1803 upon the urging of Napoleon, who saw it as essential that as prominent of an individual such as Talleyrand have an estate and start having a family. This was later, though, used as a site of imprisonment of the Spanish royalty in 1808 to 1813 after Napoleon's invasion of Spain as an interesting sidebar. 
In, in May 1804, Napoleon bestowed upon Talleyrand the title of Grand Chamberlain of the Empire, and in 1806 he was made the Sovereign Prince of Benevento, a formal papal thief in southern Italy. And Talleyrand held this title until 1815 and helped uh, administer the Principality concurrently among, along with his other tasks as a diplomat. Talleyrand was most prominently opposed, though, during this time period to the harsh treatment of Austria in the 1805 Treaty of Pressburg and Prussia in the Peace of Tilsit in 1807. Mainly, Talleyrand, for the most part, saw that these harsh demands would only serve to generate uh, animosity amongst these uh, allied nations against France and would only perpetuate itself into a cyclical cycle of war as France kept humiliating and defeating these nations, something which would prove to be quite correct. In 1806, after Pressburg, he also profited greatly from the reorganization of the German lands, once again into the Confederation of the Line, as he once again took bribes in order to achieve, uh, in order to um, satisfy the ambitions of the various German princes within the Confederation of the Rhine. However, Talleyrand, as a result of his opposition to these other treaties, was completely shut out when the Peace of Tilsit came about. Despite not being at the Peace of Tilsit, it's actually rumored that after Queen Louise of Prussia failed in her appeal to Napoleon to spare her nation, she wept and was counseled by Talleyrand, granting him a good name among the elites of European nations outside of France, which would definitely serve him down the line. By 1807, Talleyrand was really growing weary of Napoleon's foreign policy and what was seen as the rebukes of Talleyrand's advice to not be going to war with these states, to not be doing pieces such as the Peace of Tilsit and these 1805 treaties with Austria, which he saw as detrimental and just um, really as the start of creating a cyclical war with these states as animosity would only be generated through these humiliating treaties. As a result of this, he would resign as foreign minister in 1807, although Napoleon kept him as, in the Council of State as the vice grand elector of the empire. During his time in the Council of State, he vocally disproved of Napoleon's Spanish initiative, which started the Peninsular War in 1808, something which many historians say was probably Napoleon's greatest strategic mistake. At the Congress of Erfurt in September-October 1808, Talleyrand secretly counseled Tsar Alexander. The Tsar at the time was apprehensive towards the idea of forming an anti-Austrian military alliance. Talleyrand secretly counseled Tsar Alexander, though, and convinced him to outright rebuke this alliance entirely. Napoleon had originally expected Talleyrand to help convince the Tsar to accept his proposals, and never discovered that Talleyrand was actually responsible for him rejecting. He simply thought that Talleyrand had failed to convince the Tsar's mind. And the reason for Talleyrand doing this is that, and why he would eventually defect as we're about to talk about to the old regime, is that Talleyrand really thought that Napoleon was bringing down and destroying the empire that he and many others within France had worked to build during Napoleon's reign. After his resignation in 1807 from the ministry, Talleyrand began to accept bribes from the hostile powers of France to betray Napoleon's secrets. If you're not reading and learning history, then you're doomed to repeat it. For all of you just tuning in, you're listening to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos. And for all of you just tuning in, welcome back to another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. We just got done talking about Talleyrand's career under Napoleon, and now we're going to start getting into his efforts to betray and undermine Napoleon and ultimately his policies in Europe in general after the fall of Napoleon. Um, after accepting various bribes to betray state secrets of Napoleon to the uh, various coalition members, Talleyrand and Joseph Falk, who were typically enemies in politics, had a reapproachment in late 1808, and it entered into discussions over the imperial line of succession. At this time, Napoleon had yet to actually address who his true heir and successor would be, and both Talleyrand and Falk knew that 
Uh, without a legitimate heir, a struggle for power would erupt in the, in the wake of Napoleon's death. Even Talleyrand, who believed that Napoleon's policies would lead to France to ruin, understood that this would only be worse if there was not a peaceful transition of power. Napoleon, having received word of this, deemed them both traitors, which, and this perception caused the famous dressing down of Talleyrand in front of Napoleon's marshals, during which Napoleon famously claimed that he could, quote, break him like a glass, but it's not worth the trouble, end quote. But despite being labeled a traitor, he remained a vocal opponent against Napoleon's foreign policy, opposing the further harsh treatment of Austria in 1809 after the War of the Fifth Coalition, and also criticizing the French invasion of Russia in 1812. In 1813, he was invited by Napoleon to resume his office, but Talleyrand at the time could see that power was slipping from Napoleon's hands as the Entente and sorry, the coalition forces began to beat him back. On the 1st of April, 1814, he led the French Senate in establishing the provisional government in Paris, of which he was elected president. On the 2nd of April, the Senate officially deposed Napoleon with the Acte de Chanson de l'Empereur, and by the 11th of April, it had approved the Treaty of Fontainebleau and established a new constitution to reestablish the Bourbon monarchy. When Napoleon was deposed by Louis XVIII in April of 1814, Talleyrand was one of the key agents of the restoration of the House of Bourbon, although he actually opposed the, the legislation of Louis's rule. As we've talked about in previous episodes, that legislation being a very conservative legislation and rolling back many of the very liberal reforms. So despite not liking Napoleon and despite supporting the Bourbons, we can see that ideologically and politically, Talleyrand was still very loyal to these liberal ideas of the revolution. Under the House of Bourbon in 1814, Talleyrand was the chief negotiator at the Congress of Vienna, and earlier that year was the sing main signatory of the Treaty of Paris. It was in part due to his skills that the terms of the treaty were actually remarkably lenient towards France. As the Congress opened, the right to make decisions in regards to the peace was restricted to four countries, Austria, the United Kingdom, Prussia, and Russia. France and other smaller European countries were invited to intend, but were not actually allowed to influence or participate in the actual process. Talleyrand promptly became the champion of the small countries during this and demanded admission into the ranks of the decision-making process. The four powers admitted France and Spain into the decision-making process um, after a good deal of diplomatic maneuvering by Talleyrand, who had the support of the then-Spanish representative Pedro Gomez Labrador. Spain was eventually excluded, though, from the talks as a result of the minister's incompetence and a bit of a contradiction in the exact nature of the Spain Spanish agenda, but France under Talleyrand was allowed to participate until the end of the conference. The reason for Talleyrand's success in the conference really came from emergent conflicts and divisions between the participants within the conference. During the conference, Russia and Prussia both sought to enlarge their territories at the expense of the various French states that were created. Russia demanded the annexation of Poland, something that was finally met despite protests from every single party involved, and the Prussians saw expansions in the Rhine region. On the 3rd of January, 1815, as a result of this conflict and as a result of being kind of scared by the expansions of Prussia and Russia, uh, a secret treaty was signed by Francis Talleyrand, Austria's Metternich, and Britain's Casale. By this treaty, officially a secret treaty of defensive alliance, the three powers agreed to use force if necessary to repulse re aggression in regards to Russia and Prussia and to protect the state of security and independence of Europe. 
Talleyrand, having managed to establish the middle position in this conference, received numerous favors from other countries in exchange for his support. France returned to its 1792 boundaries without any reparations, with France gaining control over Papal Avignon, Montebelliard, and Somme, which both had been independent at the start of the French Revolution in 1789. It ultimately, though, actually would be debated which outcome would have been better for France. As in the conference, there was a proposal to allow Prussia to annex all of Saxony. Talleyrand, though, had ensured that only part of the Kingdom of Saxony would actually be annexed, or the Rhine provinces. Annexing the Saxon uh, provinces would have kept Prussia farther away from France, but a lot, making such happen would have needed much more opposition from the other uh, coalition powers. Some historians have argued that Talleyrand's diplomacy actually was uh, responsible for establishing the fault lines of World War I, especially as the annexations on the Rhine, which Talleyrand uh, acquiesced to, um, allowed Prussia to engulf the small German states west of the Rhine, which simultaneously placed Prussian armed forces at the French-German frontier, which eventually led itself to the Franco-Prussian War. However, despite this, at the time, Talleyrand's diplomacy was widely regarded as being very successful, and many saw him as being the savior, savior of France from very harsh reparations. However, Napoleon's return to France in 1815 would reverse all of the diplomatic victories that Talleyrand had scored. The second peace settlement was much less lenient and was much less fortunate for France than the earlier Congress in peace in 1814 had achieved. Talleyrand resigned in September in, in objection of this treaty, and Louis XVIII appointed him as the Grand Chamberlain of France, a mostly ceremonial role which would provide Talleyrand with a steady income for the rest of his life. After his resignation, he mainly maintained his main stayed out of public life for the most part. However, in, when uh, King Louis Philippe became king of France in 1830, he quickly became a strong proponent of the Orleanist cause, gaining immense popularity amongst the French liberal bourgeoisie. During this time, he would reluctantly agree to become ambassador to the United Kingdom in eight, from 1830 to 1834, and in this role, he strove to reinforce the legitimacy of his new king's regime, and also was responsible for the pro posing of a partition plan for the newly independent Belgium. However, on the 17th of May, 1838, at the age of 84, Talleyrand would die in his home in Paris. Although many of Talleyrand's achievements were ultimately undermined by the return of Napoleon, and although his plans to partition Belgium never came to fruition, Talleyrand left his mark in European history by being one of the most prominent diplomats of his time. And even today, Talleyrand leaves a mark. The name Talleyrand these days is a byword for being a crafty, cynical, resourceful, and cunning diplomat. If someone call in a diplomatic circle calls you a Talleyrand, this is what they are describing you as. And it's to this that Talleyrand's greatest diplomatic uh, legacy is in. Thank you for joining us for another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. Join us next time as we discover another historical figure from our past. And that's all the time we have left today for you history buffs. There's many more historical figures from our past to discuss, so be sure to join us same time, same place, next week for a new edition of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos.